0: one of the most famous chords in all of music, right? Well, what a difference harmony makes. All those notes are beautiful when they're played in an organized way that appeals to the hearer. And Paul uses the metaphor of music uh, as one of two really powerful metaphors in our passage this morning. And that's what we're going to focus on uh, in our series next on community. And last week, uh, if you missed it, we started off our series on community, and we talked about the absolute cornerstone of community. And that cornerstone, of course, is the gospel. It's the good news. And so the Apostle Paul talks about the good news throughout his letter to the Corinthian church. And just by way of review, of course, Corinth, uh, on our map that we had last week, Uh, It's on our left-hand side as you're looking up at the screen, and you see the little uh, peninsula in Greece there and that little Achaia uh, island almost. It's connected by the isthmus, and on that isthmus is Corinth. So Corinth was rebuilt by the Romans uh, about uh, maybe 100 years before Jesus Christ, give or take, uh, a couple decades, and uh, that was um, something that was... Uh, a boom, something of a boom town, kind of a a new place, lots of new money, lots of new uh, opportunities in Corinth, and so a bustling place, and Paul establishes a church there. That's what that little red, uh, those red um, lines are, is that's Paul's second missionary journey, where he's bringing the good news, and he works his way all the way to Corinth, and uh, his next stop on our map, which you see there, is Ephesus. We'll be talking about, just briefly, his letter to Ephesus today as well, Um, but we're going to spend most of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today, so that's by way of review last week, the cornerstone of the gospel being the thing that Paul wants to make sure is happening in every single church that he visits, that's where he starts, and that's where we started. But that's not where Paul ends his letter, and 1 Corinthians 12 is right in the middle of what he's writing to this church. And uh, let's pick up there, and we'll read through uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when we were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts. God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. And then, those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. He will set us up beautifully for our message next week on 1 Corinthians 13, but we're still this week in 12. Let's look at verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us, and there it is, so we can help, so we can help one another. So one spirit is working in a diverse way to accomplish the building up of the body of Christ. So one of the things that the church is called is the body of Christ. It's also called the bride of Christ. The body of Christ is made up as Paul says beautifully here about of many different parts. We look at verse 11 for instance. Paul says it is one it is the one and only spirit who distributes all of these gifts. And he alone is the one who decides which gift each person should have. So we read, for instance, in verses 8 and 9, wisdom, special knowledge, faith, and healing are all given by one spirit to different members of the body of Christ, different people in the church. He goes on to talk about miracles, prophecy, the ability to discern among the spirits, tongues, or unknown languages, and the interpretation of tongues. So when Paul is talking to the group in Corinth, if you were to read the letter to the 1 Corinthians, what you would realize is that the Corinthians had a pecking order. Uh, They knew about the gifts of the Spirit. They knew about them because they were using those gifts of the Spirit. Earlier on in uh, the chapters that uh, precede chapter 12, Paul is exhorting the congregation about the right use, not the wrong use, of the gifts. So it is possible to do the right thing the wrong way, and that's what the Corinthian church was doing. They were using the right thing, which are their gifts that were given to them by the Holy Spirit, that those giftings were being manifest or being shown to the rest of the congregation through the empowerment of the Spirit. But what's interesting for the Corinthians is that the the Holy Spirit that chooses who gets what gifts, who empowers that person to use that gift, that the Corinthian church was using those empowerments in a way in which was that was not honoring or glorifying God. So there was this disconnect and and that I think is is an interesting and a complex kind of question. How is it that the Holy Spirit that it gives for instance in the Corinthian church one of the things that they loved was the manifestation of the gifting of tongues, speaking in a language that wasn't known to the speaker. So in the book of Acts, during the time called Pentecost, when the believers were all hidden away in an upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and indwell them, they were hiding out because they were afraid. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. There's a sound like a tornado or a hurricane, mighty rushing wind, the scripture says, and in the book of Acts. And then those believers, rather than being afraid and cloistered away in that upper room, they head out into this giant public square into Jerusalem. And Peter, as the leader of all of that group, begins to preach out loud to everyone gathered. But all those other believers were scattered among the crowd and filled with the Holy Spirit. They were speaking about Jesus Christ to the groups of Jewish people who'd come from all over the known world to Jerusalem in the wake of Passover. So there were different, there was one people group, Jewish, but there were different cultures represented and there were different language groups represented, all in that giant square that Peter was then addressing this multitude of people. And so these believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, scattered among this group of people in the plaza in this giant open area, began speaking in languages that they didn't themselves study or know, but they were able to successfully communicate about Jesus Christ to these different people groups, these different language groups throughout the crowd. And and Paul has to stop everything and say, I know that you don't know what that person's saying or that person or that person, but they're not drunk as some of you think, just babbling on, they're speaking And they're speaking in languages that are known, and then he goes in to talk about the Old Testament prophet Joel, who prophesied that in the last days, the Spirit would be poured out on his his people, men and women, and that they would speak and prophesy. And then he goes on to talk about Peter, to that group assembled, who Jesus Christ is, what had happened during the crucifixion, that he is raised from the dead, and that he is Lord, that he is Messiah. So you've got the Holy Spirit empowering people to speak in languages they didn't understand, haven't studied, and yet can successfully communicate. Because the point of any unknown language is to communicate understanding so that the people who are hearing it can give glory to God. That they can understand the message that's being said and that can in them create alignment with God and that can lead to worship and right relationship with God. So that's the point of a language that is spoken, that is not known to the speaker, and God empowers that to happen. Now, God was empowering that to happen in the Corinthian church, and it was so appreciated, and it was so dramatic, and it was so noticeable that it had status. Like People liked it. The people who could speak in tongues appreciated or liked the ability that they received from the Holy Spirit, and they would offer that in the middle of their meetings. And one would speak, and then another would pop up and speak as well. And we'll talk about this in weeks to come. But there began to be this jockeying for first place among those who had this gifting of speaking in languages that they didn't know. Not only that, but they would begin speaking in languages that nobody understood, and there was no interpreter. There was nobody there to say, here's what the Spirit of God is saying through this person. So it was unintelligible for all of the hearers, and everyone was left to sit, as you would be, wondering "Wonder what that was all about. But because it was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit and His gifting, everyone was deferential. They allowed it to occur but they, they weren't really helped by it in any way other than to recognize I guess this person has the Holy Spirit and they have a message from God and we'll just bide our time until that's done, right? So Paul has to talk to the church and has to say in particular to all of you Corinthians who love this ability to speak in languages that you don't know, you need to settle down just a little bit. There needs to be order and he talks about that. One is speaking. Then another person has a word. You need to stop what you're you're doing. The other person needs to sit down. So there's order that needs to happen. And he says, oh, and by the way, if you're speaking in a language nobody understands, nobody else is edified by it. That is, nobody's built up by it. Nobody's encouraged by it. So unless you've got somebody in your assembly, Corinthians, who can understand and interpret what is said by the Spirit through that language, then just actually keep that to yourself. Don't speak in a language you don't understand for the purpose of the body, don't do that if there's nobody there to help this group of people understand what that means. No interpreter, no tongues. It's interesting, what's, what's interesting to me, all that to say is the Holy Spirit's the one empowering. The Holy Spirit's the one allowing all of this to happen. And yet, somehow, the Holy Spirit defers to the individual and allows that individual to have discretion over how the gifting is used. So that the individual who's empowered by the Holy Spirit can now use that gifting in a way that's out of alignment or out of harmony with what the Spirit is trying to accomplish among the body of believers that's gathered in Corinth. That's interesting to me. It's a little bit like, well, I've got drivers in my house. um, Young men who are uh, learning how to drive. And uh, there comes a day when I hand over the keys and I say, all right, this car is going to take you, you know, wonderful places. Um, drive safe. <laughs> and, and off they go. And I entrust to them this vehicle. And perhaps the Holy Spirit's empowerment of an individual is a little bit like that, where you are now empowered. You now have the ability to make a difference, to make an impact. But you could crash the car. You could create all kinds of problems with it. That's not how it was designed. That's not what I want for my son, is to take that car and drive it all over the place, smashing things. That's not what I want. But it's possible that that could happen. That's as close as I can get to trying to figure out how is it that the Holy Spirit, this one spirit, who empowers all believers with these special abilities, can allow cacophony, that disparate, discordant, bothersome, ruckus that we started our message with what we what we long for is what that ended up building to which is resolution harmony there's a place everything's ordered actually that leads to a sense of relief in a situation where there was cacophony so before paul wrote the letter to the corinthians what you had were individual notes individual people but they were vying for first place there wasn't a melody line there wasn't organization There's nothing wrong with the individual notes, but they're all fighting one another. So there needs to be an orchestration that's submitted to an overall plan, and that plan needs to be submitted to individually. So each individual needs themselves to have the maturity, the discernment, the patience, and the self-control to use their gifting in a subordinate way, that they subordinate, that they submit their gifting to what's best for the whole. Well, the body of Christ, Paul goes on to say, is like the human body. And then he says that in verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, and so it is, with the body of Christ. So it is with all of you in Corinth. So he uses another metaphor. There's the music metaphor through harmony, but now there is the human body. And that is a more organic kind of metaphor, that we're all interconnected. And that when you disconnect something in a body, that's not good, right? There's trauma that occurs. There's all kinds of hemorrhaging, bleeding, bad things happen when needed elements of a body are taken away. I know what some of you are thinking. There are those vestigial organs, you know, like appendixes and gallbladders. and We can take those out and there's not too much problem. Well, if any of you have ever had a surgical procedure, you do know that the preference of any doctor is, I don't want to mess with you if I don't have to. Because if I have to cut you open and take something out, there's always a chance that something could go wrong. And if we don't have to, let's not do it, right? Yes, we have the technology, yes, we know how to do it, yes, I have studied and I have the skill to take out your gallbladder or your whatever, I can resect your colon, I can do all kinds of stuff, says the doc, fix your heart, but I'd rather not if we don't have to. Because there's something about the integrity of the human body, there's something about having everything sort of just where it's supposed to be, that's really, that's, that's preferable, and Paul says this group of believers at Corinth, and he would say the same thing to Faith Church. All of us, we're all part of this one body. We're all connected. He goes on in verse 13 to say, the very next verse, that we're all baptized into one spirit regardless of ethnic or socioeconomic status. So here he just picks out, cherry picks a couple distinguishing marks that the culture might think was relevant. Jews, Gentiles, slave Free. Those were big markers, like tags that you would wear to identify where you fit in the order. And what Paul says is that order doesn't work in the church. Out there, for some reason, it matters, but in here, you stop being a slave. Your status stops being a slave. So if you're a supervisor, if you're a manager out there, in here, You're not a manager anymore, you're not a supervisor, you're not a CEO, not in here, not in the body of Christ. If you are a working-class person who doesn't have status, and you are working in a job that doesn't have much clout, so that you don't tell people what to do, they tell you what to do, if that's a position that you occupy out there, in here, you have status. You have a voice, you have authority. So Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to realize that the the divisions that are so meaningful out there cease to have meaning here, why? Because there's one spirit, and here he uses the word baptized, and some of us automatically think, because of our religious tradition, anytime I see the word baptism, it must mean water, right? The ritual, the baptismal ritual. And I will say to you that most of the time when Paul uses the word baptized, he's talking about spiritual baptism. He's talking about a spiritual reality. He's talking about being immersed into the Holy Spirit, being immersed into the family of Jesus Christ. So there is spiritual baptism that Paul means often when he talks about baptism. And here, he's not introducing the idea of a ritual with water, that we would undergo, he's not talking about that at all. It would sort of not fit at all. He's not organizing the rituals or ordinances of the church. What he's talking about is what happens when you become a member of the body of Christ? What happens when you, because of that cornerstone of the gospel, believe the promises of God through Jesus Christ? You get joined into, or here his word is, you get baptized, you get initiated into one body, and it's just one spirit and that one spirit is something that we all share. So therefore, our statuses are the same. Earlier in the letter, Paul says, not only is it Jews or Gentiles that don't matter, that is, your spiritual heritage, your denominational affiliation, your ethnic background, those things don't matter in the church. Slavery or free, that doesn't matter in the church. It doesn't even matter if you're a male or a female. And again, in that culture 2,000 years ago, women didn't have the same rights as men. They, They didn't have the same clout. They didn't have the same authority. They couldn't go to the same places. So there was a big distinction between men and women. And Paul says earlier in his letter, these distinctions in the church don't have meaning because we're baptized into one body with one spirit. Now I would just caution you not to hear me say more than I am saying, and that is I'm not saying that it doesn't matter whether you're a male or you're a female. There is a movement now in our culture to extinguish any meaningful difference between masculine and feminine, and that to, is, to insist on differences is actually wrong and damaging. That's going on in our culture right now, but that's not the Spirit of God. In fact, God created men and women in his image, created them distinct, and yet they work together in harmony. So the goal here that Paul is saying is not to obliterate the difference between men and women, but to obliterate the status and the authority differences that happen because of Jews or Gentiles, slaves or frees, slave or free, uh, male or female. He said, in the body of Christ, the rules get changed because the body is one. However, everything has to be subordinated, right? Everything has to be brought under submission in one body. You know that my body isn't working right when I can't control what I do. There are neurological disorders that people can develop in which their body behaves in ways that they can't really control. You know that. You've seen that. It's not something that anyone desires. Yeah, everything's together. All the body is together. But it's not subordinated to the head. It's not organized in one. That can happen in the body of Christ. That was happening in Corinthian, in the Corinthian church in Corinth. So Paul is writing to this group of believers who are individual Christian people empowered by the Holy Spirit, operating out of their gifting from the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a way that ended up sabotaging the whole. It ended up taking over and wrecking what God wanted. And isn't that interesting that we, as well-meaning, God-fearing, Jesus-loving people can wreck community. We can wreck it. But we have the Holy Spirit. We have giftings that we endorse and manifest. And yet we can wreck community. We can kill community. And it's when we're not subordinate, when we're not submitting our gifting to the body as a whole. Paul says in verses 14 through 21, let's just look briefly there. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. In verse 16, and if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, would you, how would you hear? And if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it." How strange a body would be if it had only one part. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't call that anything except a, a monstrosity, right? A giant ear, right? a giant eye, a giant foot. They make horror movies about those kinds of things, right? A giant mouth. Uh, That's not, of course, what God intended for the human body. It's not what he intends for the body of Christ. It's not what he intends for his bride. So he brings all these disparate people who are gifted and good at other things, and he puts them all together. And then who is the conductor? The Holy Spirit, who's also known as the still, small voice. The still, small voice. I I don't know about you, but I've noticed that it is easy to miss the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. That my voice often is not still or small. (laughs) That my voice is loud and brash. That it's easy for me to hear what I'm thinking. It's hard for me to hear sometimes what the Spirit is thinking. And I think understanding that perhaps I'm not alone in that Difficulty in discerning and hearing what is the still, small voice of that conductor, that Holy Spirit, who is inviting me, Pat, to subordinate my gifting to something bigger than just what I want. Because what I want is important, but it's not more important than what's going to be helpful for everyone else. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse... 16, Paul talks about Christ giving the church different groups of people to help them. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. And then he goes on to say in verse 12 in Ephesians, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So it is the still small voice of the Holy Spirit Empowering, And then Paul says in Ephesians, these different groups of people who have offices, they have authority to help coordinate the, the gathered members of the body of Christ. And what is the point? To build up the body of Christ so that it is healthy and growing and full of love healthy and growing and full of love. And that brings us to our next point on our outline. We are all to help and care for one another with our gifts. Help and care for one another with our gifts. Verse 25 says, This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. This is the reason for the gifts, that we would care for one another. So the spirit manifests himself through individuals, gives them the empowerment to make a difference, and what's the point? How do you subordinate your gifting to help the whole? When you are doing that, to offer care for your brother, your sister, your father, your mother. Your daughter, your son, in a spiritual sense. So then Paul in Corinthians gives us one of a number of lists of spiritual gifts. And the spiritual gifts that he lists here are different, slightly, than the gifts that he mentions in Romans, which we'll touch on in just a moment. And it's a little different than the gifts that he mentions in Ephesians, which we'll touch on. And I think when you take the entirety of Paul's teaching on spiritual giftings and the manifestation of gifts the, through the Holy Spirit, what you recognize is that Paul isn't creating an exhaustive list. And we'll look on our lists here to see what is there, and it's interesting what's not there that you might have included on a list of the manifestations of spiritual gifts. I don't think Paul would say that his list excludes other manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But he's simply clarifying for the, his purposes what some of the giftings are and how they can be organized and managed and subordinated to the whole. Now, some of you know, and some of you are ignorant, blissfully ignorant, and I, if you are blissfully ignorant, I'm sorry, that will end today. But um, <laughs> some. Some are unaware that what we're talking about today is one of the more divisive issues in the Protestant church, right? Especially in evangelicalism. And evangelicalism just describes in the theological spectrum those Christians and churches that believe that the Bible is the word of God, that it's not a spiritual cookbook, that it's not spiritual suggestions and interesting stories, that it's actually the word of God. Evangelicals believe that. So among that group of evangelicals, you have some of them, when they read passages like this, who would say, time out, Pat. Those gifts that you're going to read about, the speaking in tongues, the languages that people don't understand, the healing, the miracles, the prophecy, and what is prophecy? It's two things. foretelling, and it's forth-telling. Foretelling and forth-telling. It is your ability to know things that you didn't know. Things occur to you. Knowledge occurs to you. Visions occur to you that you interpret as coming from God, and you would share that information with someone else that the Holy Spirit would lead you to, whether that's a large group of people or a one-on-one situation. So there's prophecy that knows things that other people don't know, and then you say it. Like, for instance, when the Messiah, when Jesus is calling his disciples, and he sees Andrew under the tree, and he shares that with Andrew when Andrew knows Jesus wasn't anywhere around. How would he have known that I was under the tree, right? Just one little miniature version of what prophecy looks like. But prophecy is also telling the truth of God that has been displayed or manifested in scripture, and it's telling it to other people. That also can be prophecy, that you are prophesying. Essentially, you're prophesying the word of God, whether it's because you know it by it being written down, or you know it because God's given it to you. And for the apostles, Paul, they were doing both. They were giving the word of God because it had been given to them and they were writing down the word of God because it had been given to them as well. So they're doing both of those offices of prophet. But all of those, what are known as sign gifts, healing, miracles, prophecy, speaking in tongues, in that world of evangelicalism, there's a group of people who would say, Pat, those were designed to be used by God right at the start of the church. That God wanted to authenticate his power among people who didn't know him. That he needed to establish the authority of his spirit working among people, and he needed to do it in ways that you couldn't argue with. And that's why you see, Pat, that those giftings were so clustered in a certain time frame, And that once the church had the scriptures, once the New Testament was canonized, once you had the establishment through the apostles of the church and the authority of the church, Then the church took over the authority in that role and the manifestations of those special giftings were no longer needed and they ceased to be manifested or displayed. And where does that argument come from? Well, among other things, it comes from church history. That is, that you stop seeing in recorded church history the kinds of manifestations of the giftings that you see in the first century, in the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, you you stop hearing about that kind of normal expression of those miraculous kinds of gifts. The early church fathers don't write about that as commonplace in the way that Paul seems to think that it's happening all the time, right? He's not writing to people to inform them that these gifts exist. He's writing to tell them how to manage the gifts that they well know exist. That kind of management isn't given by the church fathers in the 100s, 200s, 300s, 400s. You just don't see them having to manage groups of people like Paul had to manage the Corinthian church. So it's that and the understanding that the authority of God needed to be established and when God works in new ways and in new places, you do see things breaking loose, spiritually, in crazy ways, that authenticate and testify to the power of God. But that's only one group of evangelicals. There's a whole huge chunk of evangelicals who would say, that's garbage. That's just made up stuff. The Holy Spirit worked then the way he works now. And he manifested himself then the way that he manifests himself now. And it is artificial and unneeded to try to make a distinction and say that these gifts ceased to exist and that they don't have use in the church today. And so you have churches and traditions and denominations within evangelicalism that embrace the expression of these very miraculous gifts. Healings, miracles, speaking in tongues, prophecy, special knowledge from God. All of those manifestations in some evangelical churches are very much encouraged, embraced, and adopted. So you don't have the whole evangelical church agreeing with how to look at 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. There's disagreement, strong disagreement. So if you didn't know that, uh, okay, welcome to the family. Um, We don't all see things the same way. Um, What does faith church believe? Well, look at our doctrinal statement. There's 10 things there. We do not take a position on the sign gifts. Sign gifts meaning those more miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We just don't make it a point. We choose not to major on that particular point. So what does that allow for? It allows for a diversity in opinion among our members. However, in our um, gatherings, we, we don't actually make time for the expression of those sign gifts. So it's sort of a little of both, which is interesting. You can be on the cessationist side of the evangelical spectrum, or you can be on the Pentecostal charismatic side of the evangelical spectrum. Those are sort of the two brackets that contain teaching on the sign gifts. Well, if you look at what Paul says in 12, there's wisdom, special knowledge, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, and Paul is quick to say the interpretation of tongues, And then he goes on to say that there are apostles, there are prophets, there are teachers, there are those who work miracles, there are those who have the gift of helps. Then he goes on to say that there are some that the Spirit empowers to give leadership to the church. And then Paul, in Romans 12, Romans' letter to Christians gathered in Rome, he adds to his list here. He talks about people who serve. He talks about people who have the gift of encouragement, or other translations would say exhortation synonymous. The gift of giving, he talks about people with generosity and being moved by the Spirit to give. He talks about people who have the gift of mercy, also translated as kindness. In Ephesians, he talks about evangelists, and he talks about pastors or shepherds. So he comes up with a long list of things that he would say are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But again, he keeps adding things as he goes along. If he wrote even more letters, my guess is we'd hear even more. What's not in the giftings? You don't read anything about musical expression, right? Which is a little distressing for some of us who love music, right? There's nothing about vocal performance. There's nothing about, I mean, I just loved what Andy did with his sax this morning. That was beautiful. There's nothing in Paul's list about that. There should be, but there isn't. What about artistry? I mean, last week, you saw me draw a stick person on my whiteboard. How different is that than what you've seen Pastor Jeremy produce on the stage? Right, thank you. I see that hand. That's right. Good. That's, you know, I love when that happens, that he can do that. And just one of the expressions of gifting, but that's not on Paul's list. Does that mean it shouldn't be on Paul's list? Does that mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't empower and give people the ability to offer that so that the body can be encouraged and focused on Jesus Christ? No, I don't think so. I think that the giftings are all there so that we can use them to build up the body of Christ. So the last thing on your outline says, what are my gifts? How can I use them to help and care for the people of Faith Church? Because that's, that's the bottom line for Paul. Whether you're a cessationist or you're a Pentecostal, the bottom line for Paul is, and it should be for us, how are you going to use the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life to help people at Faith Church? So it's not about individual notes. It's not about having individual skills and talents. It's about bringing those into the order and organization of the church so that you can bless people around you. So, Brian, hold on to your seat a minute. I'm going to take over the overhead for just a second. There we go. Okay, so what did I bring up here? I brought up our website. So if you were to go to Church. Manitowoc.org, you would see this as your landing page. And then if you scroll down, you'd see something that reminds you of our sermon series on community. And then, if you kept scrolling down, what you would see here is a spiritual gifts test. So if you wanted to hop online, and you had about 15 minutes, you could go to this site. They have an adult version or a kid's version, and you can work your way through statements that you would agree or disagree, you'd say they're mostly true or never true or always true. You work your way through, there's about 115 of them or so. You can read about the different gatherings of giftings. I think it's a helpful site. And in some ways it wasn't put out by the free church, but it is reflective of kind of that tension that the free church tries to maintain. It's not cessationist and it's not Pentecostal, it's somewhere in between. And so that is where this test is coming from. I think it's helpful. If you would like to have a better idea of where you're coming from and what you have to offer the body of Christ, I would encourage you to stop by our church website and take that link today. something you can do uh, in your spare time today. And with that, we close chapter 12 and we'll open chapter 13 next week.